You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. I was going to preach a sermon today, and then as I started writing it, it started growing on me, kind of like Jack and the Beanstalk. It was one little seed that I was kind of mulling over, and it just turned into this big thing. And uh, to save you, uh, just a, a tidal wave of scriptures, I decided we're going to stretch this thing out. Hey, I got 52 weeks to preach this year, so we can be here as long as we need to. He said it, not me, so. So I'm going to preach a series for the next couple of weeks, and the series is going to be called Reverse the Curse. Reverse the Curse. In this series, I'm going to discuss with you three universal curses that affected the entire planet, and it affected all of humanity. We're going to look in the scriptures to see, number one, what these universal curses were. They can all be found in Genesis. But we're also going to investigate the scriptures to see how God reversed those curses. And we're going to see how he gave us an opportunity to receive his blessings under the new covenant. So before the old covenant was even established, there was these curses that happened, and it universally affected everyone, all of humanity, the whole earth. And then under the new covenant, we're going to see how God reversed these three universal curses in the world, but also in each and every one of your lives. The definition of the word universal means to include or cover all or a whole collective or distributively without limit or exception. Should have read that definition out loud before I said it. A lot of big words. Covering all or a whole collectively, without limit or exception, that these universal curses affected all humanity. Doesn't matter what color of skin, doesn't matter what gender, doesn't matter what denomination, doesn't matter anything. It affected you. If you are a human, these universal curses affected you. Now we have to understand That there are like universal truths out there that affect the whole world. A universal truth, simply one plus one equals two. It's a universal truth. Doesn't matter what language I say it in, one plus one is two. It doesn't matter what country I'm in. I put one here and I put one here equals two. It's a universal truth. Affects all people all over the world. Another universal truth is gravity. Everywhere you go on this planet, the simple truth of what goes up must come down. It's a universal truth. I can go anywhere on the earth and what's the joke if you threw out a pound of feathers and a pound of steel, which one would hit the ground first? And usually everybody says feathers, but they're both a pound. Science. I didn't do that good on the, in that. So anywhere you go, it's a universal truth. If I throw an apple up near the equator, away from the equator, in this country, that country, a universal truth is that it will come down. A universal truth inside the church that the congregation usually just can't control themselves is when a pastor says, God is good. Well, I guess it's not true here. 
the congregation usually says all the time. And when the pastor says all the time, God is good. Usually in other churches, I guess, the congregation can't control themselves when they hear God is good all the time. They have to say it. It's just, it's just a universal truth in any church. doesn't matter what denomination I'm preaching at. doesn't matter uh, what's going on in the church. If you're a pastor and you're failing in a sermon, you can usually say that quote, and that, that congregation is going to come back, hopefully, uh, with a little more rip-roar. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Universal truths. So we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see three universal curses that happened in Genesis. The first one we're going to talk about today is the universal curse of sin. Next week, we're going to talk about the universal curse of the flood. And the third week, we're going to talk about the universal curse of the Tower of Babel. And we're going to see in the New Testament how God reversed those curses. Three curses that affected the entire world. Sin affected the entire world. The flood outside of Noah, who found grace in the eyes of God, affected the entire world. Tower of Babel, they were all hanging out, all speaking the same language, all building the same tower, all got affected, all ran away. But you'll have to come back for the next two weeks to hear those. Today, the universal curse of sin. Let's talk about how the universal curse of sin was brought upon this earth. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 17 is where we're going to start. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of God. And for me to teach this today and to teach it properly, we're going to be looking at scriptures. It's not going to be a, a lot of my commentary. It's going to be us looking at scriptures and reading scripture because it's important. It's important, church family, to understand and for you to see in the scriptures what the Bible says. Not just what the pastor says, not just what uh, the Christian person says. It's important that we look at the Bible, read the Bible, see it with our own eyes, so that way revelation and truth and the Holy Spirit can speak to us when we see it. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Look at this first scripture right here. We're going to go on a small rabbit trail. Adam was told by God to tend and keep the Garden of Eden. He was not just laid up in a tree, eating fruit, hanging out, watching TV. He had a job. And it was important that God put him in the garden and blessed him Tremendously, with all the fruits, with all the animals, with all the fish, with all the birds of the air. He did all this for him, but he also gave him a job to tend it and keep it. Family, I want you to know that when you come into the kingdom of God, that God has a job and a responsibility for you to be a part of the kingdom of God. He wants to bless you, he wants to help you, he wants to save you, but he also wants to use you. He also wants to help you that he puts you in this blessing called the new covenant and he told you to tend it and to keep it. That we are blessed, it says, and we do get the opportunity to be a blessing. It's why it's so vital you need to be in church. It's why it's so vital you need to be plugged in to God on a daily basis because he has a job. He has something that he wants you to do. It might not be full-time ministry standing up here preaching. If everybody was a preacher, there'd be nobody in the congregation and we'd all be over talking each other. 
But there is a job and a purpose that God puts you on this earth for such a time as this. Is it to open a business? Is it to be in full-time ministry? And it's your job as a Christian and having a relationship with the Father to go about that journey to find out how did Adam know that he was supposed to tend and keep the garden? God told him. Which means him and God had to have a somewhat of a close relationship for them to hear and to speak into each other, for him to hear what God told him to do and then obey. You are vital and important to the kingdom of God. Doesn't matter what your past has been. Doesn't matter what's gone on in your past. At this moment, right now, I am telling you, you are employed by the kingdom of God. You are a worker, not only a worker, but also a son of the Most High God. And you have an opportunity to go out and be used by Him. But it starts with hearing what He has for you. All right, let's get back into it. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. What a blessing. What a God of abundance. Verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. He didn't beat around the bush right there, figuratively or literally. He said if you eat of this tree you're going to die. But God being a gracious God, God being abundant God, he could have done the reverse. He could have said, you see all of these trees, don't touch any of them. You see this one tree, you can eat it, and you'll be okay. No, 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 that's, God is gracious, God is loving, God is merciful. He says, look at all of the trees, look at everything that I have planted, created, and set in place for you. You can eat and enjoy all of it, but don't touch my tree. And if you do, these are the consequences. We know what happens. You can read the whole story in Genesis chapter 3, but we're going to drop down to Genesis chapter 3 in verse 17. The snake shows up, starts charming the lady, and it's the same tactic that the devil does at the Garden of Eden that he still does today, and he causes you to question if God is true and God's word is true. Did God really say, and even in your situation right now, the devil and his evil forces are whispering in your ear, if you need healing, salvation, restoration, whatever you're needing, did God really say, would God really use you? Does God really want you? Do you know who you are? It's the same tactic that the devil has used from the very beginning, because if he can plant that seed of doubt, the seed of faith cannot grow. And as soon as you see the snake here plant that seed in Eve's head, she should have said what Jesus said and started quoting the scriptures and saying, no, no, God says we're not to touch it. Get away from me. She didn't. She entertained the thought. And because she entertained her thought, look at this family. Because she entertained her thought, the consequences led her to sin. Why do you think it's so important and vital that you renew your mind? How simple a seed or thought or word that is spoken can change someone's life so quickly. She eats of the fruit. She hands it to Adam. Adam eats of the fruit. They are naked and ashamed. They realize it. They run and hide. I was 
talking with Miss Karen this week about some Bible things, and she was telling me about the Bible study, and we were just talking about a lot of things. And Pastor John, he had told me that one of the scriptures that he hates the most in the Bible was Genesis 3, I believe it's verse 10. I could be wrong. But it's where God, where Adam is speaking to God, and God is called out to Adam and says, where are you? And Adam says, I heard your voice and I was afraid. Pastor John says that's one of the worst scriptures that he could read. That humanity heard the voice of God who had taken care of them and loved them and shown them and created them and all of, and they heard their voice, his voice, and he was afraid and hid. That let not that be us. And that they're having this conversation, and God turns to the snake and curses him first. God turns to the woman and says that you will have sorrow. And childbirth will be no, no fun. I mean, let her at least have one kid before childbirth is real bad, but maybe that's not a good thing to have a great childbirth and then a sinful childbirth. I don't know, but give her one kid, God. Let's not, your childbirth is going to be rough. And then the curse is pronounced upon Adam and man for what he did. Look at verse 17 of Genesis chapter 3. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and not just because it's his wife, she's literally the only other human on the planet. The thing is, because you heeded the voice of mankind over what I said, because you believed what man said and what the devil said over what I said, there are consequences to what just happened. If you would have believed me, if you would have trusted me that I gave you all of this stuff, I gave you this job, I gave you this wife, I gave you all of these things and told you don't do one thing. Everything would be fine, but because you didn't trust me, because you didn't listen to me, there are consequences. You've eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat. Here it is, the curse that affected all of humanity. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field. Verse 19, And in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. The consequences of sin have now been released to humanity. To yes, Adam and Eve, they're the only ones there. But not only to Adam and Eve, but every one of their seeds from this point on. Adam did not physically die right there. We see that in the scriptures. If you eat of the fruit, you're going to die. Well, they ate of the fruit, and they were fine. They just stood there, looked at each other. Then they realized they were naked. Ah! Went and kid. Something happened. Something did die. They were cut off from God. There were consequences to his disobedience to God. Adam died spiritually and therefore was cut off from God. From that moment, sin, evil, death affected all humanity and creation from birth until death. The scripture that we know, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. That we are born with a sin nature. We are born physically, but we are born dead spiritually. We are cut off from God. 
All are wicked. The heart is wicked. Deceitfully wicked, the scripture says. And from the moment we're born, it says that the wages of those sin is death. You might not die immediately, but in your lifetime, death is always hanging around. Universally, it's affected us all. I am dead spiritually. I have a date with death somewhere down the line in my physical unless the rapture happens. And then also, if I decide to dabble in sin throughout my life, it can lead to an early death. That sin is not something to play around with. Sin is not something to enjoy. It is fleeting for a moment, but we see that every time you clock in to sin, eventually you're going to get a paycheck for sin, and that consequence will always be death. Death in a relationship, death in your physical life, death in your eternal life. That we as the church, let it be known, hey, don't sin. It says in the scriptures, and we see over and over again the consequences of sin. As your pastor, I encourage you not to sin. Lean toward Jesus and the Holy Spirit to help you walk in holiness. Humanity was born into this world with a sin nature and could do nothing to reverse this curse. There was nothing that mankind could do to reverse this universal curse. There was no amount of I am sorry's that Adam could do to put sin back into Pandora's box. And look at this. Sin escalates quickly. Watch how quickly sin escalates. Starts by stealing a piece of fruit. God says, don't take my fruit off my tree. Eve takes it, takes a bite of it. The very next sin that is mentioned in the Bible, we know Cain kills Abel. Sin instantly increases from just stealing to murder. And then we'll see next week when we talk about Noah, by Genesis chapter 6, the world is so deceitful and so evil, God says, I've got to get rid of everybody. I made a huge mistake. This, is, this just got out. This just got crazy. It, doesn't, it wasn't multiple books we didn't have the flood, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The flood didn't happen in Deuteronomy. The flood didn't happen in First and Second Samuel. The flood didn't happen in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They don't talk about a flood in Revelations. The flood literally happened six chapters after God created the earth. How quickly sin just went out and said, let's have fun. Sin escalates quickly. Humanity is born spiritually dead and needs someone to bring humanity back to life. So how does Adam get back to God? He was in heaven on earth. He's in the Garden of Eden. He's spending daily time with God. He's hanging out and tending to God's creation. And then God says, nope, you got to get out. And to make sure you don't come back in, I'm going to put an angel there with a big old sword. So now, he's trying to figure out how, how can mankind get back to God? 
got to get back to him. I've got to restore this. I've got to fix this. Something happened, and we've got to reverse the curse. But Adam and humanity could do nothing, so therefore God had to do it all. He had to reverse the curse. We couldn't do it. We caused the curse, but God, being so gracious and loving, says, I'll reverse the curse. How does Adam get back to God? The answer is rebirth. How did God reverse the curse? We're in church, so the answer is always Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 21 through 22. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 21, and verse 22. For since by man came death. We saw that in the beginning. Now look at this. By man, capital M, also came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam, I mean, it's just unfortunate for Adam because he is plastered all throughout the New Testament and the Gospels, and usually it's involving him bringing death to us. Poor guy. For as in Adam, all die. Woo! Way to go, Adam. But look at this. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. The new covenant, the new testament, for God so loved that he gave, sends his only son, because he decided he was going to reverse the curse. Man could do nothing to get back to God, so therefore God did everything to get back to man. Glory to God. For as in Adam all men die, but even so in Christ all shall be made alive. I don't know how good you are at math, but here's a simple formula for you if you're taking notes. Adam plus sin equals death. Yikes. Adam plus sin equals death, but Jesus plus the cross equals salvation. Mankind and sin always equals death. The wages of sin is death. Humanity plus sin. I'm not a betting man, but I'm a betting man here. Humanity and sin always equals death. But the reverse is also true. Jesus plus the cross always equals salvation. That if I partner myself with Jesus and the cross, I can receive his salvation and instantly reverse the curse of sin in my life. Look at John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus is talking to the Pharisee, asking how can we be saved? How do we do this? This is a religious leader, one who has studied the scriptures, one who knows the story of Adam and Eve, one who knows the story, the history, the culture of the Jewish people. He has studied, he has studied, he has gone to the temple, he has made sacrifices, he has atoned for his sins, he has asked for forgiveness, he has prayed, he has given, he has followed everything according to the law, the best that he can as a religious leader. And he hears about this man named Jesus who is doing these miracle signs and wonders and using authority that no one else has ever used. He goes to him by the middle of the night, sits down and talks with him, and he asks him, how can we be saved? Who are you? What are you doing? And Jesus answers at the very beginning, John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And the Pharisee said, what do you mean? Am I supposed to crawl back into my mother's womb? I do not understand what you are saying because Jesus was presenting some new principle that had not been revealed up until this point. Jesus is revealing his plan, starting to somewhat show his deck of what God had intended. If death, 
If mankind is born spiritually dead, then God says, I have to figure out a way to bring life back into man, and how else am I going to do that except through rebirth? You must be born again. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 22, says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Understand that when we are born, when you were born through your mother, you were born as an incorruptible seed. The seed of Adam and Eve and their sin nature have been passed down over and over and over and over again so that everyone who is born is born with a corruptible seed. But First Peter says that you're born again, and when you're born again, you're born again as an incorruptible seed, one that can't be tarnished, one that can't be broken, one that can't be tainted. The seed which you were reborn with is incorruptible. You were born of the Word, born of that seed, Christ. Eternal life is eternal. Listen to this. It is incorruptible. That your body and the seed of your body is corruptible. We know that. But being born again, saying yes to Jesus, you're born as an incorruptible seed. He made it to where when you were born again, you were completely reborn in your spirit and you were reborn and grafted into a new family. So therefore that sin and that curse of sin could no longer affect you. Praise God. A couple more scriptures and we're landing the plane. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verses 19 through 23. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the church of God. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Verse 23, not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. I'm not going to lie to you if I was a tree in the Garden of Eden, if I was a blade of grass, if I was a piece of dirt, if I was one of the animals, I would have been real mad at Adam when God pronounced a curse on Adam by cursing the ground and the tree. God said, thorns and thistles are going to be birthed because of you. And all the plants and all the trees, they said, wait a second, why did, why did I get what he did? Shouldn't he get the punishment? Why does now the ground have to be cursed? Why now do the animals and the trees and thorns and thistles 
The other trees in the Garden of Eden said, we didn't do anything wrong. We were just standing here, hanging out, enjoying the sun. But we got cursed because of it. And Paul brings it up in Romans chapter 8. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God, which means that creation itself is awaiting for you as sons and daughters of the Most High God to use your authority to instead of say that the ground is cursed, it's now blessed. Instead of thorns and thistles rising up in your life, no, 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 the curse is now broken because of what Jesus has done. The verse 20 says, for the creation was subjected to futility, futility in the Greek, is what is devoid of truth, inappropriateness, perverseness, depravity, and frailty. It says that creation right here was not willing, not willingly received this, but they were subjected to it. And why were they subjected to it? Because of him who was subjected in hope. The curse was placed upon them, but God knew, because remember when he told the curse to the snake, He says, you're going to bite his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. He's going to kick you in the teeth. You're going to be under his feet for the rest of your stinking, dirty, ridiculous existence. For all of eternity, you have lost as soon as her seed shows up on the scene. Are you with me? Can you bear a little bit more? Or we need to shut it down? Okay, all right. Give me 10 more minutes and I'll run through it. Romans chapter 5. This is the big passage that we're going to highlight as we finish. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, thank you, Paul, for not putting Adam on blast, at least in this passage, Just as through one man, don't know who that one was, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Appreciate that, Israelites. Wasn't that law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. We see that in the scriptures when you read the genealogy. So-and-so gets this old, and then they die. So-and-so gets old, then they die. Even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense. Thank you, God. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of God. The one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Verse 16, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Praise God. Verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more than those who received the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's disobedience, I'm sorry, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. 
Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Praise God. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, praise God, grace abounded much more. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you have time this week, you need to go back and read that passage of Scripture. And see the difference where the curse was and how one man, Jesus Christ, reversed that curse. If you read through that passage again, Adam, through Adam came sin, through Adam came death, and through Adam came condemnation. Woo, all the fun stuff. But when you read that passage, look and read what all Jesus brought. I'll go ahead and read it for you. Through the last Adam, Jesus, came grace, came justification, came righteousness, and came eternal life. So much more was gained through Christ than was ever lost through Adam. So much more was gained and given. Because remember, we serve an abundant God. One who gives more than enough. Where sin abounded, so much more grace abounded. Not only did he just reverse the curse, not only did he just say one plus one equals two, I'm going to take sin, I'm going to take my salvation, and we're going to knock it out. He goes above and beyond. He makes sure that he not only just gets rid of sin, remember he who knew no sin became sin, so that you who were sin could become righteous is what the scripture says. Be encouraged today that the curse has been reversed in your life. And when the curse is reversed and sin, death, hell, and the grave is reversed, you receive His grace, justification, righteousness, and eternal life. The last thing I have, I'm finishing with this, is I want to talk about just some of the benefits and some of the things that were reversed on the cross that happened with Adam and the curse that was spoken over him. That everything that Jesus did on earth was purposeful and very precise to make sure that he answered all of the prophetic words, to make sure that he covered all of the things that needed to be covered so that this new covenant could completely eradicate and reverse the curse of sin. I want to talk about and let you know that Jesus bled five times in his life to reverse the curse of sin in your life. In the Bible, it mentions five times that Jesus bled. If you do any study in the Scriptures, you know that numbers matter in the Scriptures and that five is the number of God's grace. So the first time that Jesus bled was at circumcision as a child. The reason he did that, the reason he bled at circumcision, the reason he was circumcised, was to honor the covenant between Abraham and God And he also wanted to be perfect under the law, and that was one of the things that had to be done to be perfect under the law. You can read about God speaking to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 in regards to circumcision. 99-year-old man, you want to talk about trust in God. And then Abraham has to go and circumcise all of his family and all of his slaves. You want to talk about somebody trusting their quote-unquote pastor. Hey, let me tell you what God told me that I have to do, not only to myself, but also to you. Who wants to join that church? 
The first time he bled was circumcision. The second time he bled was the Garden of Gethsemane. We see that in Luke chapter 22. And it's misconstrued, it's mistaught that that Jesus is trying at this moment to run away from the cross. If I'm being honest, I, I kind of find it offensive when I hear people preach and talk about that, that Jesus was at the Garden of Gethsemane. He had gone through his whole life, his whole ministry, and all he had talked about was making it to that cross and dying for your sins and dying for the sins of humanity and saying that he needed God to do. And then he's at that moment of the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, let this cup pass from me, not my will, but your will be done. I believe, and how I see the Scriptures is that Jesus was about to die in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's literally bleeding. He is bleeding, sweating, drops of blood. I believe at that moment was where God, standing in place of the high priest, was placing his hands upon the sacrificial lamb. And he started putting the sins of the world and the weight of that upon Jesus, started him to sweat drops of blood. And he says, God... Not my will, but your will be done. If you want me to die right here in the garden for their sins, then I'll do it. But if I'm not supposed to die right here, then give me the strength to make it to the cross. And it says that an angel showed up and strengthened him, and he started making his way. He got up, family, out of that garden of Gethsemane because he was determined to die on the cross for your sins. He was determined to reverse the curse. He was not running or shying away from that cross or from that beating or from dying. He came with a purpose. For this purpose I am here, to seek and save that which is lost is what he said. Another reason, another place that he bled was at that scourge, at that whipping post. That Jesus... I was talking with Miss Karen about this as well this week. That the same blood that came out of him at the whipping post was the same blood that came out of him on the cross. So therefore, the blood that atoned and took care of your sin was the same blood that atoned and took care of your sickness in the same day. He's reversing the curse by going to that whipping post and taking that beating for you. The only reason he detoured to that whipping post was for by Jesus' stripes, you can right now be healed. The only reason he went there was to take care of your healing. The fourth place that Jesus bled was the crown of thorns. If we go back to the original curse, Genesis chapter 3, It says, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. Verse 19, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. The reason that a crown of thorns was placed upon his head is because he bled from the same place that that God cursed. The, The sweat of your brow is the same way that those crown of thorns was placed upon his head so that his blood could cover that curse. He took care of your healing at the whipping post. He took care of your prosperity at the crown of thorns. And he took care of your sins. And the last place he died was at that crucifixion. All in one day, he took care of you and reversed the curse. Now, when he was on the cross, he bled another five times. The first place he bled was in his right hand. The second place that he bled was in his left hand. The third place that he bled was in his left foot. The fourth place that he bled was in his right foot. And the fifth place that he bled was in his side. The reason that he was nailed to the cross in his hands and he bled from his hands is because the scripture says as he's ascending from heaven, 
Everything that you touch removes the curse. You will lay hands on the sick and they must recover. Because of His bloodshed on His hands, now you being a son and an ambassador of Christ can go and use your hands to go and remove the curse from people's lives. It says lay hands on the sick and they must recover. It says whatever you touch with your hands must prosper. Why were His feet nailed? Because everywhere you walk removes the curse. The curse says, cursed is the ground that you walk upon. And he took nails into his feet so that everywhere he walks and now you walk is no longer cursed but blessed. You can use the authority and the power in the name of Jesus Christ that at that name everything must bow its knee. It says in the scriptures that we walk by faith not by sight. It says in the Scriptures that we walk in the Spirit. It says in the Scriptures that we walk in the light. It says even when you walk through tough times, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear evil because His feet bled. Your feet are prosperous. The last place that He bled was His side. And just like when God put Adam to sleep and He took that rib out of Adam, and created his bride the same time that that soldier split his side and outflowed the church, Jesus' bride. The reason that he was split on his side was so that the new church could be birthed, so that you and me could be sitting here today talking and preaching and believing the goodness of God. Jesus bled five times in his life, and when he was on the cross, he bled another five times. Look at this scripture. I'm finishing with this, I promise. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. What was the sacrifice that that God offered? He sacrificed his son. He sacrificed his life. He sacrificed his Godship so he could come down to humanity. And God says, you need to offer a sacrifice of praise. Well, what should that be? Do I need to offer my life? Do I need to offer all my money? Do I need to offer my kids? Do I need to, what do I need to offer? Look at this. That you offer a sacrifice of praise praise that is the fruit of your lips giving thanks to his name do you want to know why we encourage you to raise your hands during worship and when you're at church because every time you do you see the five times that Jesus bled in his life the five times that Jesus bled on the cross both number fives represent the grace of God and you're offering the sacrifice of praise with releasing The thanksgiving from your lips saying, thank you, Jesus. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was cursed. I once was a sinner. I once was far away from you. But thank God you've brought me near by reversing the curse. The universal curse reversed because of what Jesus did. You must understand that these universal curses affected all from Genesis to today right now. And we each have a responsibility to tap into the reversal of all three curses by believing God and what He provided for each one of us. We are all affected by sin. And if not dealt with, eternal death is on our horizon. But if we tap into what God did for us by believing and confessing Jesus as our Savior, we'll never be separated from Him again. Believing Jesus brings life and life more abundantly into our current situation in our life. 
believe in Jesus today, that he died for your sins, was buried in a tomb, and rose again the third day, so God can reverse the curse of sin in your life. Amen. Let's stand up today as we get ready to head out. Next week, we're going to talk about the universal curse of the flood, and we'll see how God reversed that in the new covenant. Father, we thank you for today. Father, thank you for reversing the curse, for doing something that we cannot do, that we could not obtain, that we could not. There was nothing that we could do. You made a way where there was no way, and we say thank you for that today. Thank you for reversing the curse. Father, we offer our lips of praise, a continual sacrifice of praise to you and say thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity as Gentiles to believe upon him and call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Thank you for sending your son to seek and save that which is lost. Thank you for making an opportunity for us to even when we die on this earth can open our eyes in heaven with our Father, our Savior, our curse reversal the author and the finisher of our faith, the author of our eternal salvation. Father, thank you for these people. Let this seed be planted inside of their lives and let them never forget how you reverse the curse of sin in their lives and that we rejoice and that we live our lives in a pleasing manner to you, that we continually just offer our praise and our thanksgiving up to you every moment, every chance that we get, that we have a relationship with you, that like what Adam says, that we heard your voice and we hid because we were afraid that that never is us. That even when we sin, even when we fail, even when we struggle, we run to you and we remember who we are and we walk boldly into your throne of grace. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you that they're blessed. Thank you that they're healed. Thank you that they're restored. Thank you that they're saved. Thank you that they are a part of your church and that you're building them continually. And bring them back safely. Bring the women safely to the Bible study on Tuesday night. And bring us all back safely next Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for your time. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you all next Sunday. Take care, family. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC. And have a great week.